Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in Proverbs. We're going to be in chapter 27 for our text tonight. This amazing uh, book of practicality that sits dead center in a book of spirituality. Isn't that interesting that God would put a book of practicality right in the middle of a spiritual book? And sometimes people think that those two things are at odds with each other, that you can't have something that's both practical and spiritual because they don't uh, mesh together well. But what I find is that where the two things meet together often is in this very subject of wisdom. Wisdom is the ligament that connects the practical with the spiritual. And so as we go through the book of Proverbs, we get to see the practicality of living spiritually in this world. And so I have two texts for you tonight, the first being in chapter 27, beginning in verse 23. The second will be in chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 30, and the two tie together. Now, just as kind of a... um Kind of a backdrop before we get into these passages, I remind you of something that was given to us way at the beginning of the book, chapter uh, 1, verse 6. And it talks about how to understand uh, a proverb means that sometimes you have to reflect on it. It says in the uh, uh, King James, it calls it dark sayings, but in the Amplified Bible, it talks about um, the requiring reflection, that sometimes you look at these things and the face value uh, passage is pointing to something that's deeper. It's, it's a parable. It's a poem. It's, uh, it's a meaning. There's something more to it. Uh, and so that certainly is true of the text that we're going to look at tonight. But yet um, it brings us right back to the surface of things. So uh, we're going to begin in chapter 27, verse 23. And if you guys could just start the count up clock, that would just help me in the back. Uh, that way I, I know not to go long and keep you here uh, too, too, too long. <laughs> so chapter 27, verse 23, it says this. It says, be thou diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. Now, I think I can go out on a limb. It's safe to say that there are no shepherds here, right? No one here that left their flock with the servants and they came out tonight. You know, uh, this isn't necessarily talking to shepherds specifically. It was spoken in an agrarian uh, farm Time And so this would be familiar to them. But essentially what he is saying to us, the spirit of God, is in your life, know where things are at. Right. So know the state of your flocks. Be aware of where things are at. And then he explains in verse 24. He says, for that's a reason word. Riches are not forever. And does the crown endure to every generation? In other words, what he's saying is that you should be diligent to know where things are at in your life because what you have today and where you are today, the position, both the riches, what you possess, and also the crown or your position, where you are, those things are not forever. They are constantly changing. So life is liquid. It isn't static. So what you have today and where you are today is not necessarily what you'll have tomorrow or where you'll be tomorrow. Be aware of that. But then he says this. 
that can be unsettling to us, right? To think that I, I don't know if, if I'm going to stay where I'm at. That's unsettling. But here's what you can know. Verse 25. He says that the hay appears and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered. So this is speaking of the field or the place where the flocks are. He says, the lambs, verse 26, are for your clothing and the goats are the price of the field. And so essentially he's saying to us that what happens in the field, and that's what I want you to hear tonight, what happens in the field determines the health of the flock. If the field is healthy, the flock will be healthy. And if the flock is healthy, verse 27, it says, and you will have goat's milk enough for your food, for the food of your household, and for the maintenance of your maidens. So the health of the flock will be determined by the quality of the field. And the quality of the field then will translate into the blessing of your own life. So cut out all the degrees of separation. And essentially what Solomon is saying is he's saying know where things are at and understand that the quality of your life is directly connected to the health of your field. So your fountain starts with your field. Now that's the first passage. Now turn to chapter 24 beginning in verse 30, and listen to what Solomon says here to you and I, by the Spirit of God. He says, I went by the field, so we're talking about the field again, of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. Here's what I saw. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face of it, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw... And I considered it well, and I looked upon it, and I received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come as one that travails or labors or suffers, and your want will come as an armed man. He says, I saw the field of one who was slothful. I saw that it was overgrown. It was unkept. The wall that marked its boundaries and borders and, and was its defense against intrusion or thieves, those things were destroyed. And I saw and I realized that if diligence to keep the field isn't a priority in someone's life, then not only will they not enjoy the blessings of a healthy field, but they will also then suffer the torment of a laboring person. And so essentially the principle is this, that if the field is kept, then the flock will flourish, your life will be blessed, but if the field is unhealthy, then you'll have the opposite. Now you say, what in the world is the field a representation of in the Bible? And so for the answer of that, we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. We think about what Jesus said, and it was a parable that he told in Matthew chapter 13, a famous parable called the parable of the sower where he said that a sower went forth to sow seed and some of that seed fell upon uh, by the rock or on, on the pavement and the bird just stole it and some fell by the rocks and it didn't have much depth of earth and the sun scorched it and it choked out before it could uh, really bear any fruit. Some of the seed fell on good ground, but there was also other things. There was thorns on the ground and thus it, it was choked out and it never really bore good fruit. But then there was some seed that did fall on good ground and it sprung up and it bore good fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And his disciples were as confused as you guys look 
right now. And they were like, wait, seed, field, what? Jesus, what are you talking about? And so Jesus separated his disciples and he said, listen, let me explain to you guys what's going on. And he interpreted the parable for them. And what he said is that the field is your heart. The soil where the seed lands is your heart, the invisible conditions of your life. And the quality of that soil, what that field is like, is going to determine what then grows up in it. And so some of it is going to be all stolen from you, like the birds come and just steal the seed. Some of it is going to be so unkept and so unhealthy, the the inside, that even if the seed gets in, it's going to be burned out and it's not going to bear any fruit. Some of it's going to be so cluttered. It's going to be so cluttered, such competition for nutrients and for ground that nothing will grow there or, or won't come to fruition. And then finally, some of it will be good. And so Jesus essentially interprets for us what this field is and what it represents. And so the question that's before us tonight that Solomon is calling us to diligently consider is what is the state of your field? What is the state of your field, the status of what's growing in your heart? And the implication is that the wise, the person with wisdom, will diligently attend to the health and care of the field. Proverbs 4, 23, Solomon would sum it up in a sentence like this. He would say, keep or guard your heart, your field, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of of life. And so tonight I want to talk to you about field goals. That's the title of the message, field goals, and I have three points for you tonight. And you all, you have to be a sports fan to understand why that's funny. <laughs> but it's not funny if I have to explain it. <laughs> so anyways, there's another passage in the New Testament where Jesus uh, talks about um, talents. He, he talks about how when he would ascend into heaven that he would deliver to his, his servants his goods. And, and it says to some he delivered five talents, which was a, a measurement of money, but the, the interpretation actually crosses into the English because talents are talents, right? And, and he said that when he returns, he's going to reckon with us and he's going to talk to us about what we did with the talents that we were given. And so if we kind of put those concepts together, the field of our heart and and varying talents that we've received, what we can determine or gather is that our, our field is not really just one field. It's one field, but it's divided into different areas. We have different areas of our life. And so a part of our field is the spiritual part of our field or our relationship with God. And that's a real thing. If you know God here tonight, and I'm, I'm assuming that the majority of you out here on a Wednesday night have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And so you have a part of your field that that's what it is. It's your relationship with God. And, and to think about the status of your field is to think about the status of that relationship. How is my relationship with God? Am I knowing him? Am I enjoying him? Am I loving him and being loved by him? Am I growing closer? Is he getting bigger in my eyes? Is there a progressiveness where we're growing, walking together? How is my relationship with God? And that's a part of my field. But there's other parts of my field. There's also a personal part of my field. And that doesn't mean that God's not in it. 
but it's just another part of my life, and that's just my personal life. So my character, the type of person that I am, the character that I'm cultivating as I learn who he is and walk with him, my personality, my soul health, my emotional health, all of those things, my physical health, those are all personal things. How am I doing in the personal part of my life, my disciplines and whatnot? There's another part of our field, which we could call our professional uh, field or the professional part, or you might want to call it your purpose. That is what it is that you produce, what it is that your life does, what gets you up and going every morning. And you ask, what's the state of that? How am I doing? Am I continuing to develop and cultivate the various gifts, the opportunities, the things that are making me productive in life and that are keeping me going? Are those things growing or kind of are they on autopilot? And, And that's something to assess. What's the state of my professional field? Another is our relational field. We have relationships. If you're married here, then you have a spouse in a marriage. And so that's something that you have to tend to. That doesn't just take care of itself. If you're a parent, then you have children. Or if you're a child, you have parents. Those are relationships. If you have friends or professional relationships or people that you're joined with in the body of Christ, we have a relational element to our lives and who we are. That's a part of our field. And how are we doing? How is that part of our field? How is my marriage? Am I growing with my spouse? Are we knowing each other? Is there intimacy? Is is the gap between us closing as we grow older together? Or is it widening? What's the state of my marriage and all those different relational things? And then finally, we have kind of our possessional life. You know, we all have things that we have to take care of. You know, I have a house and I have, I'm starting, my cars are like mating in the garage or something because as my kids are getting their licenses and all of a sudden there's vehicles everywhere and motors and I have to take care of those things, you know, and and we have a stewardship over the things that God has blessed us with and that's a good thing, you know, that's part of growing with him and walking with him is that he puts things in our lives, gives us the wisdom and the energy and the ability to manage all of that, but I have to do it. I have the responsibility and so that's a part of my field. And the question that we're asking ourselves tonight is what is the state of our flocks, which are in our fields? And so what does Solomon say, or or we should better say, what does God say in the collective trust of wisdom literature in the Proverbs concerning these things? How is it that we can have a healthy field? What is it that I can be doing on a practical sense to know the state of my field, to make sure that it's the way it should be, that the wall is strong, that the ground is fertile, that the rocks are gone, and that I can bear good fruit in my life. And so as we look at what Solomon says in a whole, I want to give to you just three things tonight, though we could probably give you 50, three things that if if these things are happening in your life, in the various parts of your life, they're going to affect everything. And it's going to make all the difference in the world. And so the first point tonight that I want to give to you is to find the right friends. If you want to have a healthy field, then you need to find the right friends. Let me give you a few verses right out of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this. It says that he that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, the people that I'm around, if there's wisdom in their lives, that wisdom is going to 
be in me as well. It's going to transfer in some way. And on the other side, the same thing. If I hang around with foolish people, then I'm going to suffer the harm of a foolish life. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know, there's something that happens when we collaborate and when we fellowship and there's community where we get better. He says in uh, chapter 27, verse 9, he says, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. As if we have people in our lives that can speak to our lives under the surface. They can get past just the recreational uh, veil. They can get past just the acquaintance level. And they can get down and there's some reality and depth in the relationship. Then as we interact on that level, there's going to be a change in the countenance. The entire quality of my life is going to be lifted by someone in my life that I have like that. Now, the contrast to that given in some other Proverbs. Proverbs 22 Verse 24 and 25, Solomon writes this. He says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man you shall not go. Here's why. Lest you learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. 1629 says this, same idea. He says, a violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. And so the idea is that if we hang around the right people and we have the right team of people in our lives, it's going to be to our benefit. But if we have the wrong people in our lives, that's going to be to our detriment. In 1979, uh, there was a child psychologist whose name was Andy Meltzoff, and he did something amazing. He stuck his tongue out at a baby. And what happened next really shook the world of child psychology and human understanding. You know what happened? The baby stuck his tongue out back. Now, it could have been me. I was an infant in 1979. But it led to a groundbreaking study, and that is what they, the conclusions that they came to is that imitative behavior starts at 42 months of a person's life. And it really uh, led to the discovery, even deeper than that, of something that all of us possess, which are called mirror neurons. And and this idea that we mirror or we reflect the things that, that happen to us, and that starts at a very early age. And the thing about mirror neurons, which is amazing, is that mirror neurons will fire in us whether we're doing something or whether we're just observing it. And that's why we tend to mimic the people or the things that we see, because we're wired that way. We're wired to be impressionable in that way. Now, here's some studies, some interesting statistics, is that if you have a friend who smokes, a close friend who smokes, you are 61% more likely to smoke. That's amazing. If you have a friend who's obese, you are 45% more likely to gain weight in the next two years. Also, if you have a friend who is happy, there's a greater likelihood that you'll increase in happiness. And one study found this, that if you have a friend of a friend of a friend who's happy, then you have a 6% chance of being more happy. Three degrees of separation. Now you say, well, that doesn't really sound like that much. But listen to this. That if you get a 10% raise in pay, your happiness level will only go up 2%. 
That's amazing. That's remarkable. Because what that means is that the people that are around us have a greater effect on us than the things that happen to us. And so what Solomon is trying to say here, essentially, is that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because we're affected by the people that are in our life. So what does that mean? It means that if you want to get better in some area of your life, if you want to be growing, then you need to get around people that are better than you. If there are people that you know that are tighter with God, they're closer to God, and you want to be closer to God, then get close to them, get around them, because it's going to have an effect upon your life. If people are better relationally than you are, get around those people. If you want to be better at tennis, what do you do? You play tennis with someone who's better than you because that's going to make you better. And so you want to get around people that are going to help you. You say, well, how do you get around people that are better? Because nobody who's better than me really wants to be around me. Listen, I'm glad that you asked that question because there's actually quite a a practical answer. Listen, there really is. Listen, Proverbs 18, verse 24, Solomon says this. He says, if a man will have friends, he must show himself what? Friendly. That's right. Listen, here's the amazing thing is that there is undoubtedly an area in your life where you excel and someone else comes behind. And so it's not that we're just receiving from the people that we're around. We're also contributing. We're putting something into their life. It's kind of like bumping into someone else's anointing. We all have gifts from God, things that that come easier to us. And part of the reason why the early church was so big on communing with each other, breaking bread from house to house, and being together constantly, is because we build each other up in the areas where we're strong and we receive strength from other people that are bigger than we are in other areas. But if we want to get better, we've got to be around people and open ourselves up in a way where we can. One of the negative byproducts of this kind of like self-acceptance culture that we live in, you know, where where we just kind of like, it's drilled into us that I'm good enough. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing because a lot of us kind of suffer with that whole self-esteem issue. But part of the the negative byproduct of that is that it kind of makes us think that we can't receive from someone else. We can't let someone know that we're weak. We can't admit that someone might be better than us at something. It's hard for us. And so we kind of build up these barriers. And really what that becomes is it becomes a a, a force against me because I'm not growing in the thing that, that I could be. Now, on the other side of that same coin, there may be some relationships that you have or that, you, that you're in right now, just friendships or acquaintances or whatever, that are having a negative effect on you. They're moving you in the wrong direction. And so maybe part of this for you is building up some boundaries and saying, I need to get some people a little bit further away. But essentially, Solomon's wisdom, keep your field this way. He says, build the right team. Find the right team. Second thing that Solomon says, second point tonight in the backdrop of all this, is that it's not just about having the right team, but you also want to feed on the right food. You want to feed on the right soul food. Let me read you a scripture, uh, something that Jesus said. It comes from Luke chapter 11, Luke eleven thirty four. Jesus said this. He said that the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is single or set or devoted or secure, then your whole body also will be full of light. But when your eye is evil, your body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in you be not darkness. 
If your whole body, therefore, is full of light, having no part dark, then the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle does give you light. Now, again, don't be confused. I bring Jesus' word to bring depth to Solomon's words. Let me read you some Proverbs. Proverbs 15, verse 20, Solomon says this. He says, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. In other words, the things that get into my soul via the eye gate... The food that I eat that nourishes me spiritually and emotionally in my soul. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. It has an effect on the inside. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 25. Solomon says this. He says, let your eyes look right on and let all your ways be established. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left, but remove your foot from evil. In other words, be set in the direction. Have boundaries about what you're going to allow into your life because it's going to have an effect upon the quality of the whole. Chapter 23, verse 6, Solomon says this. He says, eat not the bread of him that has an evil eye. Now, wait a minute. Eyes don't eat, okay? I, have, I mean, I've seen my kids put food in their eyes at certain ages, but usually that's a mistake, so he's not talking about food in the sense of what we put in our mouths. He's talking about a different kind of food, a food that goes into the eye. Eat not the bread of him that has an evil eye, neither desire his dainty meats. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he, but his heart is not with you. And here will be the result. The morsel which you have eaten, you shall vomit, vomit up and you will lose your sweet words. That is, if you're not careful what you allow into your field, into your heart, into your soul, via the various emotional gates, spiritual gates, the eyes, the ears, the mind. If we're not careful and guarded, if the rock wall of our field is broken down, as it were, and we're just allowing everything in, then that's going to have an effect upon our well-being on our emotional well-being, and we're going to lose something. It's going to take something away from us. I think we live uh, in a day right now today where, where people are more conscious of food, physical, you know, edible food, than probably at any other time in human history, and probably for good reason. <laughs> because what, what we're seeing is, and learning is that there's so much bad food on the shelves that's disguised as good food or is advertised to be good food. And so what, what we're discovering is that the food supply that's supposed to be building us up is actually harming us and tearing us down. And so we're eating food, and we feel full, but it's robbing us of our vitality, of our energy, of our creativity, and thus we're eating, but we're feeling sick. And th this is a part of it. And so people are realizing that they need to do something about this. And so like never before, people are paying attention to eating raw foods and natural foods and organic foods and whole foods and well-sourced foods and unprocessed foods. And they're paying more for what at first maybe doesn't even taste as good because by eating it, they feel alive. They feel healthy. They feel energized. They feel clear-minded. And, and so people understand that the things that they eat with their mouth affect how they feel and how they think. There's a, a translation between the two. And so what Solomon is saying to us here, what Jesus is saying when he says that the, lamp, the eye of the body is, is the light, the lamp of the body is the eye, what he's saying is that there is an emotional soul food 
that goes that we allow in we are feeding constantly the things that we see the things that we hear so the movies that we watch are feeding us the music that we listen to the media that we take in the magazines that we read the photos and videos that we take in the instagram and social media feeds that were they call them feeds right that we're constantly eating we're taking it in all of this stuff and what the bible is telling us is that if those things are dark If those things don't have spiritual truth-born benefit to us, that they're actually going to bring darkness into our life and they're going to tear us down. They're not going to be a benefit to us in the long run. Let me just say, how do you feel after you spend four hours aimlessly surfing the Internet? I know how I feel. I feel full, but I don't feel good. I don't feel good about the way I use my time or what I did. I read a quote recently that said that 15 years ago, the Internet was where we went to escape the real world. Now, the real world is where we go to escape the Internet, right? And it's kind of become that. It's so easy to just get pulled into an overload of information and data and things. It's constantly coming upon us. How do you feel after you binge watch an entire series in one or two days? Georgia and I did this once, and we will never do it again. It was years ago, and and I, I bought off of my friend, I bought an iPod classic, and it was like when the video ones first came out, and he had a whole season of Who Wants to Be a Superhero on there. It was the stupidest reality show. I mean, reality TV's probably come a long way since then. But we stayed up all night, and we watched nine episodes of this whole thing. We couldn't stop. We were just drawn into it. We paid for that for like a week, you know. But, 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 but that can happen. And how do you feel after you do that? And what we're seeing, not just in our society, but we're seeing it even in the church, is there's this epidemic of what I'll call soul obesity. And that is that we're taking in so much that isn't really good for us and we're full, but we're so full that not only do we feel sick, but we've got no room to take in things that are actually good for us. And the reason that I know that's true is because after being so filled and and stimulated by these other things, sometimes I'll say, you know what? I just want to refresh and read the word for a little while and I'll open the Bible and you know what'll happen? Same thing that probably happens to you. I'll read six pages and go, wait, what did I just read? Why didn't I retain any of that? Why didn't any of that get in? Do you know why? Because I'm already full. And essentially what we're being told here is watch your diet. And that really is the solution. What we need is a soul diet. I'm not talking about salad and kale. I'm talking about scripture. Is that there's some things that we need to say no to and move off of the plate so that we can say yes to something else. Not paleo, but prayer. To get close to God again. To bring it back to the place where I'm allowing him to have first place in my life. Now, here's the amazing thing. Is that when we resolve to do that, when we say, yeah, you know what? I, I, that's me. I'm in that place. We have the same reaction to that that we do when someone tells us that we need to go on a diet. Or when we know that we need to go on a food diet. How do you react when you know you have to go on a food diet? I know how I feel. It's like, oh, you mean I have to give up the things that I like and eat the things that I don't really like? You know, and I see that all the time because people come to me and they'll tell me what's going on. And, and I'll just start asking pastor questions. You know, how, how's your Bible reading? Oh, 
can we talk about kale? I don't want to, you know, well, are you praying? Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Yes, of course I was going to say that. You know, and, and, and at first, you know, when someone says, hey, maybe, maybe no more ice cream and maybe some more raw foods, you know, we go, oh, it was really, isn't there a way? Can I out-exercise my bad eating habits? I'll do anything, but don't make me change what I'm taking in. Sometimes it can be the same reaction until you do it and how many of us that we we've said i need to change some things around in my diet and we do it we suffer through it for a couple of days but then we start to feel better and then we actually advertise it we say i started doing this and i feel great i'm waking up clearer better i'm sleeping less but getting more done my life just feels better i'm glad it was really hard to make the decision and take the first step but i'm glad that i did the same thing holds true spiritually when we say no to some of the things that are cluttering us up and taking us down and we say yes to some of the things that maybe at first don't taste as good after a little while you start to see the benefits and isn't it amazing how your taste buds will adapt to what's healthy when you start living out the benefits and advantages of what's good and that's the same exact thing that happens spiritually. The more Jesus influence that we have in our life, the more we move from darkness to light, the clearer we see, the greater we live. Jesus said in Matt, or it speaks of Jesus in Matthew chapter four, verse 16, it says that the people which sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the shadow of darkness, light or the shadow of death, light is springing up. And when you allow Jesus in more, then he dispels the darkness and he brings light, light being health on the inside of our spirit, our mind, and our emotions, clarity. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it's one of my favorite verses. It's when uh, Peter and John were on trial for their faith before uh, a group of people that were adverse to the things of God. And it says that the Pharisees, the religious rulers, it says that when they saw the boldness, the boldness means brightness, the light, the life, the energy, the vitality, the clarity, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they had, were unlearned and ignorant men, it wasn't education, it wasn't degrees or training, it says that they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And when we feed on Jesus, whether that be in the word, whether it be our prayer time, whether it be that we're listening to sermon podcasts or reading books that are strengthening us in the spirit, fellowshipping with people and talking about the things of God, and we're allowing that to be what influences us in the soul and what's coming into our lives, then the result is there's going to be a boldness, a brightness, a clarity, a vitality, a, a zeal for life. And so find the right team, eat the right food, and then number three, stay with it. Stay with it. Solomon says this. It's in our text. It's chapter 27, again in verse 23. What does he say? He says, be thou diligent. Do you see that word right there? Be diligent. The contrast is back in chapter 24 when he said, I saw the field of the slothful. The word diligent literally means to be sharp, to be decisive, to be eager, and to be determined. 
In other words, I am set and I'm determined in my heart and in my mind that I am going to know the state of my flocks. I'm going to look after the field and I'm going to realize that my life is going to either benefit or it's going to perish based upon the health and the decisions that I make. The word slothful means to be idle to be remiss or to be relaxed, meaning I don't, I'm not caring for it, I'm not looking after it, I'm just letting it happen. Do you know as you go through the Proverbs, and I'm not going to read all, all of the Proverbs, but I want to give to you, there's five times in the Proverbs that there's a call to be diligent or there is a, a, a description of what diligence produces in the life of someone who is diligent. You know what they are? It says that the diligent will be rich. It says that the diligent will have rulership or be leaders in their world. It says that the diligent will be fat, and not not in the physical sense, but in the soul sense, in the spiritual sense. It says that the diligent will have plenty. They will always have more than enough. And then finally, the diligent will always have opportunity. Doors will be opening for people that are diligent. And these are the promises that are given to us if we'll just stay with what God has given to us. Good things happen a little bit at a time. And as we just make it a a, a point in our heart by the Spirit of God that I'm going to guard and protect the field that God has given me because I understand the, the blessings and the benefits and also the consequences. And so tonight you're sitting here. If you just think about those five areas of your life, you just think about the, the spiritual element, the personal element, the relational element, uh, your professional and your possessional life. You just think about your field just in those five elements. I ask you the same question Solomon does. I say, what is the state of your flock the well-being of your life categorically in each one of those things. Are you knowing God? Are you experiencing God? Are you walking with him? Are you loving him? Are you trusting him? Have you perhaps become slothful a little bit in your pursuit of him? Where he isn't as much a priority because other things have kind of moved to the front and he has moved somewhat to the back. And perhaps maybe some of us, we would say, if we're honest, that the field is a little bit overgrown. That some of the thorns and the cares of this life have come in. They've choked the word a little bit. I've become somewhat unfruitful. The wall is broken down. And I've let some things come in to my life. Not even necessarily sinful things. Just thing things. That have come into my life. That have distracted me. And I feel that there's a darkness. Not a sinful darkness. But more of just a, a foggy blindness. Where the spiritual things aren't as clear anymore. My direction and purpose isn't as clear anymore. My confidence for the direction I feel God called me or is leading me is not clear anymore. There's darkness where there used to be more light. And I ask you the question, if that's you tonight, what is that costing you? What is it costing you to have your field overgrown and your wall broken down? And you can just think about that in every little uh, part of your life. So what does it take for us if we want to say, you know what, my field's important. And it's going to mean something in my future. What do I need to do? Number one is you have to be honest with yourself. We have to be honest with ourselves enough to be able to look at it and say, you know what, that's broken down. I I haven't done it. I haven't given myself to it. Diligence has given place to slothfulness, and I'm paying the price for it. And then we need to get around the right people. You know, there needs to be some relationships maybe broken off in some areas, and there needs to be maybe some influence. I need to get around some people that are stronger than me, that are sharper than me. And I know that I need to be sharp because they need something from me as well. I need to get around the right people, and I need to also check my influences. 
What am I feeding on? What am I finding satisfaction in in my life right now? Because that's going to affect it. And so maybe that means I'm going to have to delete some subscriptions. Or I might have to remove some apps from my phone or from my tablet. Or maybe I need an internet fast, you know, and just cut it off completely for a little while and just go through the detox of it for a few days and let clarity return as I give myself to the things of God. But here's, here's the result of making that decision. It's this, is that if your field gets healthy, then your flock will be healthy, your life will be healthy, and there'll be vitality in it. And so that's the wisdom that's connected there between the spiritual and and, uh, the practical. When I was um, 24 years old, which doesn't feel like very long ago, but it's getting longer ago, (laughs) there was a moment... um, I was laying on my living room floor. We were renting a one-bedroom apartment. I believe at that time we were, we must have been a family of four, maybe a family going on five. And I remember laying on the living room floor uh, floor at age 24. I weighed 240 pounds, uh, which I don't know if you're good at sizing people up, but I'm nowhere near that now. Um, and and I, w- I had no energy. I felt like garbage all the time. It was just a terrible thing. And I was laying on my living room floor, and I was listening to a sermon. And the pastor who was preaching in the sermon, I don't even remember what he was preaching about, but he said this. He said that the male body is at its prime strength and vitality at age 28, that it gets better and better and better until age 28, and then at age 28, it starts to go downhill from there. And I heard those words, and I was laying on the floor. I said these words out loud. I said, I am 24, and I feel like I'm 50. And something happened at that moment when I said those words, is that there was a switch, there was a flip. Something empowered the desire in me that I don't want to live this way. And this was just in the physical. And so I got up from the floor, I got up, And I walked out the door and I just went running. I just didn't know what else to do. So I just ran, you know, I felt like Forrest Gump, you know, like sat up. My wife's like, what's got into you, you know? And so I get up and just start running, you know. But from that point, I never looked back. I just made a commitment that I never want to feel like that again. I never want to be laying on the floor far from what I should be for where I'm at in my life, wishing that I was somewhere else. And so I went for it. Now, I'm not like that in every area. I'm not always that diligent or that disciplined. But I wonder tonight if maybe, maybe just hearing these words, hearing maybe the Spirit of God through all of this whispering and saying, know the state of your flocks. Understand that the, that the quality of the field is the value of the flock, and you will have milk and, and, your, and, and wine in, in, the, in the spiritual sense, is that your life will be full. But on the other side, there's a slothfulness that can set in and it steals from us and we miss out. And I wonder if for some tonight, just in in, in the place where you're at right now, if maybe there is an empowered desire where you say, you know what, I want to live. I want to live. I want to be what God made me to be. I want to be full. I want my spirit to thrive. I want to be healthy in my soul on the inside. And I would maybe say to you, just as we close the service tonight, maybe like I did when I just stood up from laying on the living room floor and said, I don't want to live like this. Maybe you're here tonight and you just say, you know what? I don't want to live like this, but I know I need some help. 
I'd like to pray for you. And I just ask you maybe where you are, if you would just want to stand right now. And listen, it happens. There's nothing to be ashamed of because we, we go up and down, right? We have times where, where we're doing better and then times where we're doing worse. Times where we're on fire and times where things cool off. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you're in that place. But you're in that place and you say, no, I want to be shaken. I don't want to stay where I am. I want to be full. I want to be filled. I want to live for God. I don't want to miss out on what he has for my life. Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name for those that have stood, and maybe even for those that that are sitting physically but are standing in their heart. And I want to ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that right now the power of your Spirit would fall upon those that are standing before you and that you would empower their desire to live a changed life. That your Holy Spirit right now would come and fill them so full that you would give them wisdom and clarity to know the things that they need to cut out of their life, to maybe know the relationships that they need to set aside, and you'd open doors for them to get around people that will build them up and encourage them and feed into their faith and into their relationships and into their purpose. And Lord, I pray for those that are standing. I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would empower their desire to separate from things that are darkness going in through the eyes or through the ears or through the mind. And that, Lord, as a whole congregation, would be, we'd be alive in Jesus. That we'd be a witness in our world. That we'd be lovers of you. So help us, Lord, tonight. And, Father, I pray for anyone that might be here tonight that doesn't know you personally. That has yet to come into a relationship with you through the person of your son, Jesus. And I pray that the conviction of your truth and of your goodwill heart of the Savior would reach even to them tonight, that they would know how much they're loved by you and valued by you, and how much you're willing to forgive their sins if they would just call upon you, and that Jesus tonight, souls would be saved, that you would move people from darkness into light. So hear our prayer tonight, Lord, know that it's our desire to be filled with you and to know you closely. So thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. May we walk in your wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, Leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.